Welcome to Build Your Thing, the podcast where we help content creators find their unique creative voice, monetize their work, and build their tribe of loyal fans. I'm your host, Matt Jarrow, and let me tell you this. Creating content and building successful online courses can be hard and disgraceful. Especially when you start getting off the ground, it can be frustrating seeing other successful creators online. For them, Everything seems so easy, and for you, it just seems to be so hard. It seems like an unsurmountable amount of work and a kind of a mystical process. And this is why I like to bring experts on the show like the one we have today. The goal is to uncover a little bit of this mystery that may surround becoming a successful creator and selling millions of dollars worth of online courses. And I'm very excited about today's episode because today I have a special guest that you probably know if you're already into note-taking and productivity. His name is Tiago Forte. Tiago is the expert when it comes to building a second brain. He has not only built a successful business as a creator, but actually a whole movement around his note-taking methodology. He also just launched his new book, Building a Second Brain, and I wanted to bring Tiago on the show to share, reveal, and uncover how he went from quote-unquote unknown dude to thought leader in the productivity industry. So what was the process that allowed him to sell millions of dollars worth of his online courses? How did he get started? How did he go from selling $30 online courses on Skillshare to building his huge building a second braid quote unquote movement? So I couldn't be more excited to have Tiago on the show. And before digging deeper, just to let you know, at the time of the recording, I was sick with fever. So this is why my voice sounds a little bit weird, but it did not prevent us from having an awesome, full of golden nuggets conversation. And with that being said, I couldn't be more excited to bring you this special and exclusive interview with Tiago Forte. Let's get started. All right, Tiago. So welcome to the show. So good to be here, Matt. Yeah. So first of all, congrats on releasing your new, bo- your new book, Building a Second Brain. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Very exciting. Yeah. So I know it has been like a, a tough journey, right? So I've been working on this book for two years. So definitely, you know, releasing the Kraken is actually a, a great a great feeling, right? I know. It was the longest project of my life by far. Felt like it would go on forever, uh, consumed me for many months at a time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was difficult, but also, I mean, just one of the most gratifying experiences of my life, getting that thing out there. Yeah, congratulations, because it's it's really a great book, and we're going to dig deeper into that in, you know, uh, later on uh, down the road. But um, as I told you before, you know, pressing the record button. So, today, I, like, we can say that you are, quote, unquote, a a thought leader when it comes in, in the productivity space, right? But I really like to actually unveil like how you got actually from quote unquote the unknown Tiago to uh, the Tiago Forty at Forty Labs and the creator of building a second brain. Yeah, I know, I know. It's uh gosh, it's it feels like just yesterday I was just starting, just beginning everything. But the past couple of years it's kind of all blown up. But yeah, I'm happy to get into the the early years and how I got started. Awesome, awesome. So, how did you get started actually, you know, in your productivity journey? 
Yes. So it depends how far you go back. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to go back to when I first started becoming self-employed? Do you want to go back to the very beginning of my career or even further back? So I know that you, you've you got, you, you know, like you had a, a huge experience, like you have done like many different projects, but like one thing that actually, uh, um, that sticked with me, you know, after watching a lot of your videos and, you know, just trying to understand a little bit like your, your background is that at one time um, you have been, um, uh, uh, you've trained, uh, I guess, corporations when it comes to, and then like, there was also like the, 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 the Skillshare uh, class about getting things done. So maybe this is actually a, a good starting point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so there was a period. So, okay. I was serving in the Peace Corps, which is this two-year volunteer program in Eastern Europe from 2009 to 2011. Uh, 2012, I returned to California, where I'm from. And I got my first kind of professional, uh, you know, serious job, which was a small consulting firm, uh, which would do innovation consulting and product consulting for big companies. Worked there for like 18 months. And then in 2013, I quit uh, because I was burned out and because I was tired and because I just wanted to try something for myself. And the summer of 2013, I didn't think, oh, let me start a business. Let me like do anything like that. It was really just how long can I go before, how, how, how long will my savings last until I can, you know, in, you know until I have to go get a job again? Mm -hmm. uh, and when I first said that, it was about a month. I had about one month of savings. San Francisco is a very expensive place. Um, and I just kind of did odd jobs and, you know, worked events or helped friends with their projects or just little odd things, um, which kind of extended it one more month. And then with that last month of savings, I created an online course, which was called Get Stuff Done Like a Boss. And I got really lucky, to be honest, really lucky because, first of all, I used someone else's content. This was the Getting Things Done book by David Allen. So I didn't have to develop the content and, you know, create all this stuff from scratch. I just got a, an existing best-selling book, which had, you know, was very well proven, had a lot of existing readers people wanted to hear about and i just turned his book into a course um now i was a bit naive in that uh at one point later his company sent me a cease and desist <laughs> <laughs> but it was fine i just had to add a disclaimer to my website that you know i wasn't an official representative of the company okay um so i got lucky uh in that that first little project i did that first online course you know it didn't it didn't make me rich I think it probably generated, you know, twenty or thirty thousand dollars per year for the next couple of years. So barely enough to live on, along with a few other, you know, projects I did. Uh, and that was the beginning. At least the first couple of years was just um, this first online course based on getting things done. This is interesting. And, and, and did you get, let's say, any quote unquote credentials, or like how did you deal, let's say, with imposter syndrome? So like. What was the psychology behind behind actually releasing a course uh, about getting things done? Yeah, you know, I had spent some years before in Ukraine in the Peace Corps and before that in South America teaching English. And that was a great experience because English is something, if you are a native speaker, you kind of are an expert in already, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
when you're teaching kids and young people, as I was doing in these other countries, like they don't need a PhD in, you know, English literature. They just need a native speaker. That's it. They just yep. need someone who knows the language to teach them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so that allowed me to get to know teaching, to become better at teaching, to learn how to deliver content in a way that was engaging, how to design a curriculum, how to design a class, like an agenda for a class, all these skills. Um, so by the time I was creating this online productivity course, I, I had some confidence that I could teach. I could teach material that was from somewhere else that I hadn't, you know, come up with on my own. And then as for the content of the course, the fact that this was an existing best-selling book, you know, in the early years, I didn't say that I was an expert in anything. I didn't say that I was a productivity thought leader. I wasn't a productivity coach. I hadn't, you know, written anything, didn't have a blog, nothing. The only qualification that I had and that I claimed was I have mastered this methodology called GTD. Um, here are some of the, you know, results that I've created in my life, such as the, the job that I, that I performed, the, you know, some other things that I had done and that's it. I, I didn't make a huge claim as to my credibility. And so I didn't really feel much imposter syndrome. Okay. Th- that's interesting. So, um, like, was it, was it clear for you to actually, um, you know, start teaching the GTD method or, you know, did you had maybe several options of, of things that you could teach online? Um, no, I didn't approach it that way. I didn't research the, the market. I didn't even research what platform I should use. I just put it on Skillshare because that was the only, the only online course platform that I knew of and that I had experience with. Um, I didn't really test the market. Nothing was tested or researched at all. It was just, I just did something that I thought I personally found interesting that I had, you know, some evidence that people wanted and needed. And then it was just a combination of luck and timing and my own kind of enthusiasm that allowed me to, you know, for it to be successful. And, it, you know, it wasn't a huge success. That wasn't like, oh, suddenly I have a business. No, that just gave me just a few months of runway, right? So now instead of one month of runway, I have two or three months or four months. And then I just did one project after another, just one at a time, always thinking at most two or three months in advance. And it was that way for like four years, five years. Um, it was it was a long period of kind of wandering in the desert, trying like all sorts of different things that went nowhere before I finally arrived at, at what would eventually become the business, which is these live cohort-based courses. That's interesting. So could you actually share with us uh, like some of the quote unquote, failed projects that, um, you know, that came along your way? Yeah, let's see. I tried to do, let's see, I did corporate training for a while, um, which was just basically friends in the San Francisco area who, you know, had a budget for some training at their company and they knew me and they trusted me. So they just said, come in and do this. Wasn't super rigorous, wasn't very well paid. I mean, it was decent. Um, and that was a great experience because I just saw, oh, I have something to offer even a corporate audience. You know, I go to these, these very well-known Bay Area companies, tech companies, pharmaceutical companies, other companies, and, you know, do a little half day, full day training and get great reviews. Um, and I just, it just really boosted my confidence because I saw that I had something to offer. At the same time, it wasn't that gratifying because working with, companies like you go to these corporate trainings and in some cases they're they're required to be there 
right? So you have people that are kind of like annoyed that they have to be there. They're not very enthusiastic. They're not very committed. Uh, and so it was a good experience, but I said, you know what? I want to work with consumers. I want to, I want to sell my course directly to people uh, who actually want to take it. And so I, I started in online courses and then I went to corporate training and then I came back to online courses. Okay. Um, I tried all sorts of, I tried work, I tried doing events, local workshops, you know, charging 20 or 30 bucks at a local co-working space to teach. Um, I tried to get into YouTube that didn't go anywhere. I -hmm. tried to, let's see, um, I did speaking engagements, which was, you know, interesting, but didn't really go anywhere. I really tried very many things. That's interesting. And sometimes, you know, like, um, you know, crossing the desert actually shows you exactly like what you want and and, and what you really don't want to do, right? So actually, <clears throat> excuse me, but this experience actually showed you that, well, you want to work with, uh, with consumers. So what was uh, the next step? So I know that like it all started, I guess, with a, with a medium article, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it's very true. And it's, it's funny what, what I ultimately landed on is these what are called CBCs, cohort-based courses, which I never, I never could have discovered that opportunity through researching stuff. You know, I, I couldn't, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't yet a trend. There was no model really for me to follow exactly. Uh, really, it was just a combination. It was like I got the best parts of like half a dozen different things that I had tried. Mm-hmm. You know, I got the the high price point of corporate training and I said, okay, I want something at a high price point. I got the, you know, online sales process from online courses and said, okay, I want to sell this online. I got the, um, the kind of fun and excitement and interactivity of live events, in-person events, and I added that in. So, it was this like mixture of all the things that I liked the best somehow came together into this thing called a cohort-based course um, that is 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 perfect for me. It's perfect for my strengths, perfect for my personality for that very reason. I, I, I created it out of a, a combination of all these different things that I had tried. Yeah. Um, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. But yeah, so, so it's even then though, it's a long journey. So yeah, like in 2000, I want to say 15, I wrote this medium blog post about how much I hate tagging. Uh, which is just very nerdy niche thing. It's like a very particular feature of one kind of software program, uh, note, you know, note taking apps. And I just kind of did this rant on medium. I didn't have my own blog. So I just went on medium, you know, fired up a a medium post, wrote this thing. Uh, and I honestly expected it to go nowhere. I put no preparation into it. I didn't really have any plans to do anything with it. I just kind of posted it online as this, like this kind of rant. Uh, and then people responded really strongly to it. Uh, all these comments were like, oh, I've always felt this way and I never knew, you know, anyone felt the same or I've been thinking about this for years and finally someone, you know, identified what the problem is. And I was just really taken aback that this random, very like niche subject resonated with people. Uh, and then, but, but then even then it took me a long time. So like several months later, Uh, someone asked me, okay, they left a comment. Okay, well, that's what doesn't work tagging, but what does work? Like, what's your proposal? What's your recommendation? And so I I thought, oh, shoot, you know, it's easy to criticize other people, but now I have to like put forth my own idea. (laughs) (laughs) And so I wrote this other post called how to use Evernote in your creative workflow. Uh, Again, on Medium, still didn't have a blog. 
And again, the response was really powerful, including someone who works in content in Evernote, which was the the app that I was writing about, reached out to me and said, can we republish this on the Evernote blog? And so I said, sure, why not? And they did. And again, the response was strong. And so I thought, okay, wow, interesting. But then again, I thought that was the end of it. Uh, like nine months later, it took so long, a mm-hmm. friend of mine messaged me and said, hey, have you, have you seen the comments on that Evernote blog post? Like, have you seen what people are saying? And I hadn't. And so I, I did a Google search and I found the Evernote, you know, guest post and I scroll down to the bottom and the comments are just incredible. Every comment is like, this is the best piece of writing on digital note taking I've ever seen. Or I've been using Evernote for years and never thought about using it in this way. Or just one after another, these glowing kind of uh, reactions. Uh, And so this was like now summer of 2016. Mm -hmm. And that was when I just started thinking, maybe I should do something with this. And again, it, it took months after that. I started just having conversations, talking to people, posting little bits of content on social media. And then another six months later, December of 2016, January of 2017, I actually turned it into a course. I said, you know what? I'm only going to know if this is if this has potential if I, if I try. <laughs> and so I said, okay. I'm going to get on, I think it was five or six Zoom calls over the course of a month, have some slides, teach what I know to a small group of people. Most of them were like friends and acquaintances that I already knew. Um, And I said I would do it one time. And if it didn't work, if it wasn't successful, I wouldn't do it again. Uh, But it was successful. It went quite well. I think I made $20,000 in that one first cohort, which was way more than I'd ever made from any single thing. And I just thought, you know what? let's keep going. And for the first like 10 cohorts, it was just one at a time. I would do one cohort, make enough money to get to the next cohort. It was kind of like living paycheck to paycheck, but I would live cohort to cohort. (laughs) Um, And it was only after two, three years of doing that did I start to think, you know what, I should build a real business, I should hire people, I should ramp up the marketing, like I could really make something big out of this. So, I mean, this is a now at this point, like an eight or nine year process that I've been on. Yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting. So, how did like you just mentioned that like the first cohort, like you have just been started with the uh, um, with actually people around you, so you didn't have let's say any email list or anything like that. No, I mean I actually started an email list pretty early when I launched that first uh, GTD course, so way back in like two thousand fourteen, maybe because I I had heard that advice. I had heard people say, "Oh, your email list is everything." So I started one, but the the problem is it's not just having one, right? It's not just keeping a big list of people. (laughs) You have to like send things to them. You have to send things to them on a regular basis. Those those things have to be good. You know, there's like all this, this, these things that have to happen. So I think from like 2014 all the way to 2019, I think I only grew from zero to like 3000 people on my email list. And I would hardly ever email them. I would only email them when I had something to launch, something to sell, which is not a great approach for it. Uh, it was only in like mid-2019 that I really started taking it seriously. Uh, I, I, I moved from MailChimp to ConvertKit. ConvertKit is much more creator-centric. Um, I started researching and learning, you know, how do you do subscription forms? How do you do lead magnets? How do you send a newsletter? Uh, and then I started working with a marketing consultant in 2019. So... In, f- what is that, five years, I went from zero to 3,000. 
And then from 2019 to today, which is about three years, I've gone from 3,000 to 65,000, which shows you like I attribute that really to just doing the work, like putting in place the systems and the incentives and sending the newsletter every week. Like it, it, it is a solvable problem. You just have to immerse yourself in it and learn what works. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, working with content creators, I also came up with this kind of framework, which I call the art framework. So A for acquisition, R for retention, and T for transformation, which means that first you have to get people on your list, right? And then you have to build a relationship with them. So just stopping at acquisition is actually not enough. And also like just, you know, building a relationship without having anything to sell at the end also does you a disfavor as a creator right so like this is what i call the art framework and the hard stuff is actually being able to tie all these three components together so yeah i know i know and i i can think back to when i first heard this kind of stuff it saw such a big mystery right like you start your your email list and you know you put a form on your blog no one subscribes or like one person a day. And you're just like, you're just like, how does this even work? Like, like it's just, there's so many unknowns. You're so clueless about how, what it means to actually build an audience and to build an email based audience. But if you're listening to this, it's just, there's no, I, I know it feels like there must be some big secret that everyone knows and they just haven't told you. <laughs> there isn't. It's just blocking and tackling. It's just, Every, all the advice you've heard, putting out free content, asking people to subscribe, once they do, sending them great stuff, uh, it's, it's time, it requires patience, it requires really listening to what people are telling you, pivoting, changing, iterating, but trust me, you know, there was never a moment that I just discovered this one thing and suddenly everything exploded. It was just the compounding growth of one little tweak you know, every week or two for many months, they all add up until you eventually start seeing that line kind of start to spike upwards. It's like, uh, you know, after after putting the efforts and then just seeing um, actually what what uh, what, resonate, what resonates with others, then you just start connecting the dots. And, you know, like connecting the dots seems so, quote unquote, logical when when you look at them you know when you look back at them but when you are in the midst of doing it like it just seemed like a huge mess right exactly exactly yeah. okay so um right now like you've you know turned um your cbcs into into a business so like uh what happened what happened after that so um you've been hiring a lot of uh, a huge team and you've been writing a book so yeah talk us a little bit more about that yeah, I mean, so cohort one was like beginning of 2017. Uh, that first year, I honestly, I just needed to pay my bills. So I just did as many cohorts as I could. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think I did five cohorts in that first year, which is kind of insane. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually uh, burned out a little at the end of 2017. So then 2018, I think I just did two or three. So I kind of slowed down. Uh, then 2019, I thought, actually, I'm going to go do something else. A lot of people don't know this. For, really? for the third year, I was like, kind of tired of this. It's making some money, but not really growing much from one cohort to the next. So let me go try other things. And so I actually made the course self-paced. 
um, for all of 2019. Um, I just said, here, you can buy it anytime, take it anytime. Uh, it had, you know, the same price and everything. And I tried a few other things, but then I noticed first that students weren't being very successful with the self-paced version. Like people would buy it, you know, every month, but I would never hear any success stories, never hear any ways that they were applying it. It was very clear to me that even though the content was the same, it was good. Not having me there coaching them through the process meant that very few people, if any, were being successful. Uh, And that really bothered me. It it really bothered me that I had, you know, put all the effort to create this material and to offer it for sale and it wasn't helping anyone. That's the reason that I'm in education is to help people. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I, and you know, a lot of, a lot of people who just create courses actually have the, have the same issue, right? It's like uh, the disengagement. So like they buy a course and then, you know, they may be watching a few videos, but what happens next, right? Exactly. Like the success stories you always hear are like, oh, I made a course and I made this much money, Mm. which is great for the course creator. (laughs) But like, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm in this to see people's lives improved. I'm here to share my wisdom. I'm here to just have a positive impact on other, other people on the world. And so I thought, you know what, at the, at the end of 2019, I thought, let me come back to it let me uh, kind of reinvent it. And so I made a bunch of changes. I started hiring. That was a game changer. Um, I had been able to hire before then in terms of finances, but I had this big fear around, you know, oh, I'm just going to become a boring employer and a manager and all my time is going to be spent on phone calls and meetings, all this kind of stuff that I know a lot of creators struggle with. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I just, I could see that if I didn't have someone helping me, I was going to burn out like I had before. Mm-hmm. And so I hired an assistant. Uh, initially, she was part time, and then later full, full time. Uh, so this was end of 2019, and then 2020, when the when the pandemic hit, the pandemic was was uh, just exploded the online education market. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the beginning of 2019 to or 2020 to, to mid 2020. Uh, people suddenly had all this time they were spending online. They wanted to learn. They wanted to enrich themselves. And so, um, our course launches started becoming huge, uh, in 2020, as all these people came flooding into the market. And that is when we, we really started hiring, we went to, you know, three people and then five people and then seven people today we're around eight people full-time equivalent. Uh, but, uh, I hate to say that there was a, you know, silver lining lining to the pandemic as so many people, you know, suffered or died, but. Uh, It was this unique moment in history where the people who were offering high quality educational programs really benefited. Wow, that's that's very interesting. So, like, based on your experience, would you say that anyone who wants to launch, let's say, a cohort-based course should hire because you've done this like by yourself and you burned out? Or do you think it was just like um, the way that you've, Uh, maybe organize yourself. Yeah. I mean, this is the amazing thing with online businesses. You can do it any way you want. Mm -hmm. You know, I know people who are solopreneurs, they, they run the whole thing themselves and make just six, seven figures by themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're up, they're often writers. They're optimizing for a very simple life 
where they don't have anyone to manage. They don't have payroll. You know, they're just trying to like spend as much time writing as possible. Um, I know other people who, who raise funding and, you know, build massive businesses and exit the business and sell it and everything in between, right? There's no path you have to take. What I would say though is over time, I've definitely become more ambitious. Um, not because like I, I need to build this massive organization, but just because, you know, when you see people's lives changed, I see, I see the stories they send us, you know, why not grow that impact? Why not share that message with more and more people? Uh, especially since I'm, as a person, I'm very oriented towards learning. I like to learn new things. I like novelty. So like whatever you're doing will eventually get old, right? Mm -hmm. Like running the, the cohorts with just me and a course manager eventually got old. I didn't want to do the same thing anymore. And so the main reason, honestly, for me to grow the business and to want to expand besides wanting to help more people is just to keep it fun and interesting, you know, just, just to have new horizons, new frontiers that I'm learning on, uh, is an important part of my motivation. Uh, and of course, you know, the, the higher revenues and the bigger team and the prestige and all these things are nice too. Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like you have to start with just like your core motivations as a person. Yeah. That makes sense. So if we go back a little bit, you know, at the point where you where you were about, you know, throwing the towel when it comes to building a second brain, um, what was actually the the thing that made you made, made, that made you think, well, let's just, you know, try it in a different way. So you have been launching it, quote unquote, on a as you as you told, like uh, uh, it was like the self-paced course. You saw that people weren't really getting getting results. So like why did you, what was like the, the thing that made you, you know, think that, well, let's just try to relaunch it, but in another way. I mean, it happened, this happened several times. <laughs> which, which time are you talking about? Because, uh, okay, so with, even with the self-paced to get, you know, GTD course, uh, at one point, Skillshare changed its business model. They went from selling the course for like $30 and I would make 25. So every person who signed up, I made $25 to, they changed to a subscription kind of like Spotify where people, instead of purchasing individual courses, they would buy like a monthly membership. And th that was great for Skillshare. But as an instructor, suddenly I went from making $25 per student to making 25 cents. So this is a, this is a classic experience. Many creators have you build your, your business on a platform you think it's stable and secure and safe and then one day sooner or later the platform says you know what we're making a change we're changing the pricing model or we're discounting your product or we're you know um, reducing how much control you have or whatever it is and there's nothing you can do and usually the conclusion that people come to is they have to control their fate they have to control their destiny and that's when I moved, uh, well, first I moved to Udemy from Skillshare to Udemy, but then that was also didn't work because Udemy does this deep discounting, right? You say, I want to charge 50 bucks and they go, okay, sure. And then the next week, hey, 90% off. Yeah. <laughs> Every day is 90% off. So. I know. And it's like, okay, that's great that people are buying, but it's 90% off. And who is, who is losing out on the revenue is you as the instructor. Uh, and so that's when I moved to Teachable. And Teachable is very different. It's still a platform, but it's a platform where you, you have the direct relationship with students, 
right? You have their email addresses, you have their payment details. And even if Teachable were to do something or go away, you can just move your audience and move your, your business somewhere else, uh, which is something I recommend to everyone. Build on a platform where you actually control the relationship with your, your customers. Uh, yeah, so, so those were a couple kind of big uh, changes that I had to make. Uh, then there was uh, in 2019 where I kind of burned out of running the cohorts because I was doing them either by myself or with one course manager. Uh, and I had to just kind of take a year off. Uh, my wife and I moved to Mexico City. We kind of took it easy. We spent more time traveling. I just kind of like needed some time away. Uh, and then I came back end of 2019, kind of fired up and ready to go again. Uh, there's been so many little things. I mean, in in uh, there was a period... Actually, right when I started the first cohort, like mid-late 2016, uh, before I had the cohort-based course, I didn't have enough revenue. I didn't have enough income. So there was a few-month period where I left the business completely and went and got a job, right? I, I had to go get a full-time job because I needed to pay the bills, which it's funny. Like, even at the time, some friends would ask me, oh, Tiago, how do you feel? You know, how does it, like, are you sad that you that you failed? Like, th- does it make you feel bad that your business failed. And I was always like, what do you mean failed? Nothing failed. I just have one exclusive client. (laughs) Like getting a full-time job to me was not any kind of failure. It was just a temporary season where uh, instead of having many clients, I had one. Uh, So I don't know. I always think of myself as a company of one, a startup of one. Whether I'm working for one full-time employer or many customers, doesn't matter. Um, I'm always trying to just like kind of be in charge of my own destiny. If you enjoyed this episode so far, can I ask you for a quick favor that will not take more than 10 seconds out of your valuable time? If you're an iPhone user, please head over to iTunes. I've just included a direct link to the podcast so that you don't have to search for it. Simply click the link and just tap and give this show a five-star review. This will help me get more exposure so that I can feature and convince more guests to come on the show to share more valuable knowledge with us. And if you're on YouTube, simply hit the like button. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And now let's go back. Um, I'm always trying to just like kind of be in charge of my own destiny. It's all about the the paradigm shift, right? (laughs) Yes. So in terms of actually making money, like what really took off or um, where actually those uh, core-based courses, right? Exactly. That's that's when things really took off. Like I've made money other ways, but... um, the, just the format of teaching live, uh, taking people through the process personally is just a game changer. Yeah. So what actually um, uh, motivated you to actually write a book? Because like, um, I remember like on another podcast, you were, say, you were telling that actually what you have in the book is quote unquote, the exact same content that you have in, um, in your cohort based course. So, um, well, what were the motivations and uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. So, you know, after three or four years of teaching the course, I thought, okay, this clearly works. It's clearly very powerful and effective for people. Um, and it, it was kind of like the first challenge that I had to solve was just sustaining myself, mm-hmm. right? Like I had to find a way to pay my bills and make a living. If I couldn't do that, then nothing else was possible. Nothing else was going to happen. Uh, and so that was one reason that I charged this, you know, high price point, premium price point is 
I didn't have the team or the organization or the marketing systems to sell like a, like a low price self-paced course to thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. Um, I needed to offer a very a highly personalized, high touch service. Um, but ultimately, I mean, like I said, my, my purpose is to make an impact. So over the long term, the whole, the whole path here is to make these ideas and these techniques available to everyone in the world. That is our mission as a company to allow everyone in the world who wants to, to build a second brain. So an online course was a good start, but a book is really the, the most mainstream, broad, kind of democratized way of spreading ideas. Mm-hmm. And so I used the audience that I had built, the money I had made to land a publishing deal with a, a major publisher in the US. Uh, we signed that around the spring of 2020. And just last month, June of 2022, uh, so it took a couple of years, mm-hmm. uh, the book came out. And now anyone in the world, not just English speaking, but we're going to be translating it. I've signed uh, book deals in about 15 countries and counting so far. Uh, so it'll be translated to, you know, most of the languages that humanity speaks. And for 10 or 15 or 20 bucks, anyone who wants to can learn. Like you said, it's everything that I have to offer, everything in the course. There's no secrets. There's no advanced exclusive material. It's all available in the book. Very well distilled, compressed down into, you know, just a couple hundred pages. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. I mean, like the vision, like behind us, is it's uh, it's awesome. So, like, um, do you actually think that, um, or like, um, do you think like you know that people who are going to buy the book may be interested also in taking actually the the cohort based on the fact that, well, you have like, you know, like the infrastructure in place to actually putting things into practice, getting feedback, and so on and so forth. Exactly. This is the thing is I, I don't know. I don't understand how authors do this. You know, every single idea in this book, it's not just something that I thought one day, oh, this sounds smart. This sounds clever. Let me, or, or this is something that worked for me. That That's not good enough. It has to be proven. It has to be validated by hundreds of people, like every single technique, every piece of advice. And the best way that I know how to do that is teaching and teaching live where you can, you know, give someone some advice and see how they respond. Or you can ask them to try something and then next week they come back and tell you how it went, right? It's like, it's like science. Experiments have to be validated. They have to be replicated. They have to be repeated. And not just for one or, or two or a few people, but many different people with many different life circumstances. So, the in, in my view, the book would not be possible or at least would not be nearly good as good as it is without having taken at this point more than 5,000 people from more than 100 countries through the online course yeah that's interesting and like um were you confident enough actually you know before launching a uh like any kind of program to you know well i'm going to to show up in in front of all those people who just bought let's say the, the course and then well there may be you know some some things that I really don't know how I'm, how I'm going to answer them. <laughs> oh yeah, half the stuff I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing is it's not about knowing all the answers. Mm-hmm. No one has all the answers on any on any subject. You know, think about like think back to your favorite teachers or professors from school. 
mm-hmm. you know, were the favorite teachers or professors, were they the ones that just had the most comprehensive encyclopedic knowledge and every single question you could ever have, they immediately knew the answer? Probably not. It's usually the ones, the teachers that listened, the teachers that really cared about you, the teachers that really treated you like a human being who looked out for you, who mm-hmm. thought about your future and, you know, st- took a stand for you, took a stand for your education as a holistic human being, not just a pupil in their class. Yeah, uh, It's things like empathy and understanding and human connection, I think, that are just as important to the teaching relationship as like the accuracy or comprehensiveness of the curriculum. Yeah. Uh, it's something that's really easy to forget. So, yeah, often, you know, many of the people in my courses are way more experienced than me, right? I've only, <laughs> I, I'm young. I I've, haven't had that long of a career. I've only, you know, ha- had experience with a small number of industries and a small number of kinds of projects. So, like, often someone will ask me a question. I'll be like, I don't know. What do you think? What's your experience? Uh, and they'll tell me some wisdom or insight that I never would have thought of that then is a contribution to everyone in the in the course, right? Like in a funny way, I don't see myself as an author as like the sole authority in this program. I am one authority. But when I look at the students in our program, I think of them as my peers. Mm-hmm. They're my they're my peers. They're my equals. It's it's like we're in a business mastermind. Everyone is equally sharing their their life experience. Uh, and that's what helps me, you know, like show up in that space with confidence or at least being secure in myself, even though I don't have all the answers. What do you do when it comes to your marketing or um, in the way you position yourself to actually, you know, um, be able just to um, to show like what you just what you just mentioned and, and you know, being actually uh, trustworthy when it comes to, to that point? Yeah, I think transparency. Mm-hmm. Being transparent is the best way to inspire trust. Um, sharing the behind the scenes, sharing the work in process, sharing your mistakes and your failures mm-hmm. uh, equally with your successes and your victories. Um, we don't trust people who are perfect. Just think about it. People think of a celebrity who just has it all figured out. Their hair is always perfectly combed. Their outfit, you know, impeccable. Never say anything wrong. Never make an error. We might admire them, but we don't really trust them or connect with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people we trust are the people that we know. That we know all sides of them. We know that they're human. They're just like us. So I really try to do this in the content that I share interviews like this one, the blog posts I write, you know, I'm just a human being on this random planet spinning through space, trying to figure stuff out every day. Uh, I don't have any special secret or special sauce. Um, I'm just looking for other people that want to, that want to learn alongside me. Yeah, that's a, that's a great take. Uh, Tiago, one of the things that I really loved about actually your way of teaching is that you also you always um, have like these acronyms that make sense, like both in terms of, you know, like for example, code or para. Like I just discovered in the book that para actually has a has a has a meaning. Like I thought that it was just like a random stuff, but like how do you actually come up with those? <laughs> that was a coincidence. I didn't when I first started using para. I didn't know that it had a meaning either. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, 
I think acronyms and frameworks and methodologies are extremely important for anyone creating content. Yeah. Uh, it really is critical because, you know, you can write all this stuff or make videos or Instagram posts or whatever podcasts and just talk about stuff. But the moments where you notice a pattern, you notice like a recurring, like a recurring pattern uh, and you give it a name, you give it a label. You say, you know what? This is the code methodology. Mm. This is the para framework. Yeah. This is progressive summarization. You give it this label. At that moment, you ha- you really have intellectual property. Yeah. Right. You have not just something you said, but you have an asset, a digital knowledge-based asset, which can be trademarked and copyrighted, mm-hmm. which can be then monetized, can be sold, can be licensed. It will become the basis of your reputation. It will be, you know, when people think of you, oh, Matt, oh, what, who's that? Oh, he's the one who has so-and-so framework. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, it's really important that you identify these things. Yeah. Uh, and then it helps if they are catchy, you know, it helps if they, if the acronym spells a word, right. It's much easier to rem- remember code than if it was like T X R W. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh that's interesting. So actually did you, did you, um, um, like those acronyms are, are on purpose, right? So code, like, did you came up actually with like, with, with different, different let's say uh um with different other options and then like you just told yourself well i have to you know come up with with an acronym that actually makes sense or how do you actually like approach it yeah so the way that i like to do it is very bottom up Mm -hmm. you know you can't really just say okay i need an acronym right now let me just make one up Uh, it is better to just work with people very closely very intensively and then just notice what are the little, they, like a framework almost starts as like a little rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. It starts off as like a little trick or a little shortcut. Uh, and then it kind of grows and like matures from there into like a framework or something. So just notice, you know, let's say when you're working with people as a consultant or coach, like for me, so how Para started, I noticed people would confuse projects and areas. Projects are things that begin and end. Mm-hmm. right? They have a starting point and then an ending point. Areas are, th- are parts of your life that just continue indefinitely like health or finances or relationships. And I st- just started to notice people would confuse those two things. And that that confusion was the root cause of many other, you know, challenges with productivity that they had. Mm-hmm. And so I said, one of the just little exercises that I'd have people do as I worked with them is to just separate, make a list of your projects, make a list of your areas and keep them separate. And that little tiny trick was so helpful. Like it's so tiny, but they would come back and be like, oh my gosh, the 15 minutes that it took me to do that was one of the most powerful exercises that I've ever done. Uh, And that small, those two categories became the first two categories of para. Projects is the P, areas is the A. And then as time went on and I just started using this more and more, Uh, I kind of just organically discovered there's a third category resources, which is like everything else. And then there's a fourth category, a for archives, which is like all the stuff that you've used in the past that is now inactive. So para just, it emerged very organically from working with real people. It wasn't this, like I set out to create this four part framework, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, actually like, I just wanted to go back to what you mentioned like uh, when you have let's say a framework and and this kind of 
this kind of asset, it all comes back to even like what the great marketer like Eugene Schwartz like just told almost uh, like 50 years or 70 years ago when it comes to, you know, these unique mechanisms. It's, it's kind of your unique mechanism to actually taking notes, which we actually see uh, in your book. And well, right now I want to tackle a little, a little bit more your second brain kind of stuff, because I think that, um, you know, there is a lot of, 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 great, uh, of great things that we can talk about. So when it comes to your second brain, one of the things that I see um, – uh, confuses a lot of people because I have a note-taking course too, but it's it's more based on a Zettelkasten method. So one of, one of the things that like um, I see people get confused with is, and I, I think it's also like due to your success, right? Because right now every, everyone is is talking about a second brain, second brain. Like even they are just you know taking random notes. Well, it's my second brain, right? So <laughs> I think this is also part of of the success that uh, you actually had when when it comes with the with this catchy name. Um, so right now, rather than ans- trying to answer this by myself, I just want to take your take on um, what is for you a second brain and how do you differentiate? Let's say with uh, your para method, with the Zettelkast and, and everything in between. Yeah, so it's funny because a second brain is simply your system for note-taking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the collection of evergreen knowledge that you've accumulated uh, in whatever form, in whatever format that you can draw on in the future. Uh, I'm not that attached to the form that it takes, honestly. Okay. You know, I have some opinions. I, I personally think it's probably worth making a digital instead of on paper. But some people have their, you know, trusty notebook they take everywhere and that's their second brain. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally think that it should be oriented toward action, towards advancing your projects and your goals. Other people are like, no, this is just for learning. You know, it's no particular purpose. I'm just keeping things that I find interesting. And that's fine. Uh, you know, like we can go down the list, but I, I just think... It's funny, note-taking is not required, right? Like no one, your your teacher, your parents, your your boss, no one is going to demand that you take notes. Uh, even as a professional, like no one in your company, in your organization cares or will notice if you take notes. It's a personal preference. You're doing it for your own personal wants and needs. So like it's not a scientific process of like you can come in and like, you know, take a scientific measurement. Is this second brain, you know, is this a true second brain or not? Or, you know, what is what, what is the, the rating of this second brain, one out of a hundred? Like that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. The only measure of its success is does it make you happier? Does it give you a sense of fulfillment? Does it make you feel more creative or even just more confident or even just more calm? Um, those personal feelings that you have toward your second brain are really the only measure of success. And human beings are so diverse. The way we think, the way we view the world, our life experience is so, this is something that continues to amaze me is just how different people are. Um, That there's not one size fits all. My system doesn't fit all. I, I hope in the near future there are, you know, 25 different PKM methodologies you know, 25 different books that you can buy, each one with a different approach and a different flavor. And that everyone or, you know, everyone who's interested in this can find a book and a methodology that fits them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's interesting. So um, for you is actually um, second brain um, only limited to note taking. 
um, because like I remember this infographic you have on your on your website where um, you have let's say you know uh, cloud storage, voice notes, uh, or voice memos, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So for you, like the ultimate thing is that everything goes into your second brain, which is a note taking app. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So centralization is important because, you know, we all use dozens of different software programs and that's fine. Each one has its own special use case, but when it comes time to retrieve something, when it comes time to, let's say you're wondering, you know what, what do I know about, I don't know, online marketing, Mm -hmm. you have to be able to retrieve that answer pretty fast. You know, you don't have time to search across five or six different platforms. You need this kind of like one centralized place, which is the default place where you put things and therefore the default place where you find things. And I evaluated many different kinds of software programs. And there's this one category, digital notes apps, which are just called notes apps. Mm-hmm. That is the, mo- is the most appropriate. It's, it's the most effective at this simply because it's informal. Right? It's not like this sophisticated database. You don't have to like structure things in a very precise way. It's just mm-hmm. very loose, very free form. You just kind of casually jot down ideas that you encounter and ideas that you have uh, without a lot of rigid rules. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That, that makes perfect sense. So like one thing that I've noticed when it comes to your para framework is that it is actually pretty heavily um, oriented to, towards... Um, taking action maybe towards also the the gtd methodology (laughs) it is yeah it is really building on what gtd created before um that that's just kind of my opinion that Mm -hmm. the reason this is all worth doing because it does take significant effort the, the reason we we do all these steps is to more effectively execute our projects to reach our goals faster to reach more ambitious goals to create higher quality work to unlock our creative potential, all of that requires action, right? You don't get any of that just by amassing lots of notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's there's a lot of motivations that people have for creating a system like this one. But I think action, taking better action is is the best one, or at least that's just the one that I prefer. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. So, and as you mentioned, like there is like no one size fits all. So for one people, like this methodology will work better than than anything else. But at least like you're just dipping your toes into this into this PKM world and have something to start with, right? Exactly. Tiago, like with all the experience that you have amassed during the last years, both in your PKM journey but also as an entrepreneur, like what are the things that you would have done differently? That's an interesting question. I don't think I would have done anything differently. (laughs) Um, Maybe that sounds kind of arrogant, but I just really, I so appreciate every step of my journey. I I just deeply, I'm deeply grateful for the journey itself. Uh, You know, I didn't enjoy having certain failures or mistakes or missteps, but I think if I had a magic wand and I could just now that I've had them, I don't think if I had a magic wand that could just make them, you know, disappear or never have happened, I don't think I would use it. Uh, every one of those experiences made me who I am and gave me the perspective I have on life. So I don't think I would have done anything differently. I mean, that's, that's a great mindset. And to be honest, like not having any regrets and being able to just having enjoyed the journey, I think this is, this is like worth his ounce of, of gold, right? I think so. 
I mean, I really try to live without regrets. Regret, there's really no point in regretting anything. And if I have no regrets, then why, why would I change anything? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very much, uh, Tiago. So anything you'd like to add uh, before we wrap up this call? And obviously, uh, you know, I'm going to put all the links in the show notes to your book, to your website, anything you want to mention? Yeah, you know, you can find, if anything resonated with you in this conversation, check out buildingasecondbrain.com. You can find more information about my book, about my course. Uh, we also have a podcast. We have a YouTube channel. We have a very extensive blog. Uh, there's something for everyone. There's free, a lot of free stuff, yeah. every size and shape of content you can imagine. Uh, I really just want to meet people where they're at. And so I invite you to be part of what we're doing. Perfect. Thank you very much and wishing you all the best. Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. All right. So hope that you've enjoyed this interview with Tiago Forte. It was definitely one of the best interviews ever on the show and with actually a lot of actionable tips. And I really like like the mindset Tiago actually shared with us and actually also being completely honest about the journey, right? So don't think that you can build a million dollar uh, online business like from 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 scratch you know like in just a few months right it usually uh, doesn't happen like that so you still have to put the work you just have to actually first uncover the things that you're good at the things that you enjoy and then you know just try to find a market fit right try to find people who actually scratch the same itch as you and then you know just go bold on it and just believe that you are actually going to get there so i've linked to everything in the show notes so tiago's website the book and his course so feel free to check it out if you want to learn more about it so as mentioned on the show like i'm more kind of a quote-unquote zettelkasten fanboy um, and i'm using actually a zettelkasten every day in my business so if you want to check out my methodology the way i'm doing things the way i'm creating content using my second brain i'm also going to leave a link to my free seven-day email course in the description so be sure to check it out so as usual Thank you very much for tuning in and I hope to see you in next week's episode. And with that being said, take care and bye-bye.